Amen. Good morning, Lake Church. We can do better than that. Good morning, Lake Church. Hallelujah. Let's go to uh, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to continue on in our series, As Goes the Church. And so what I've been endeavoring to share with you is that we need to understand that the church is the single entity that God uses in the earth today to do his will and to bring forth his plan and purpose into the earth. So we're not looking for someone. We're not looking for something. We are it. We are the body of Christ and members in particular. So we need to understand this, that if Jesus personally was the most powerful person to ever walk the planet, then by his death, burial, and resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit that he sent down to indwell his believing body, then we collectively are the most powerful entity on planet Earth. Oh, we get kind of scattered with that. Oh, yeah, okay. We don't believe it. We don't believe it. We do not believe that the church is the express image of Jesus in the earth with the same message and the same power that he exhibited in his earthly ministry. Jesus didn't come so that the church could be diminished Jesus empowered the church to stand in his place. He's given us his name. He gave us his spirit. He's given us his word. And now he has called us to do his works. Amen? But we're trying to convince ourselves that that is the case, that that is the truth of the message of the gospel. So my whole thesis statement is... That as goes the church, so goes the world. Okay? All right? You want to know why offense is the number one problem in our culture today? It's because offense is the number one problem in the church. Oh, you, you don't want to hear this. It's the truth. It's the truth. Listen. We talk about cancel culture. I shared this with you last week. We talk about cancel culture, people canceling certain celebrities or icons that say something that they don't like, and so they'll cancel them. The church has been doing that for millennia. <laughs> Let's just be true. We've got to take an examination of ourselves and realize that if we'll truly lift up the standard of Jesus, he said, if I be lifted up, not if our doctrine be lifted up, not if our philosophy be lifted up, not if our method will be lifted up, but if he's lifted up. If he's lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. Amen? He'll draw all people to himself. Well, listen, the church isn't, necessarily lifting the standard of Jesus. Crickets and tumbleweeds. Amen. But it's the truth anyhow, and uh, I'm going to show you it through the word. Amen. We're going to correct it. 
This is an examination. This is a physical that we are attending our once-a-year physical where we turn our head and cough <clears throat> and we figure out what's going on with our heart because we have the ability to impact the world just as Jesus impacted the world. We are his body. Some don't believe it, but I'm going to show you in the word. Amen? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, ESV version. And he put all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, and gave him as head over all uh, things to the church. So he, uh, Jesus is the head over all things to who? Church. The church. Here's where we've messed up. We believe the church is a building. Do the churches meet in buildings? Absolutely. Are buildings important? Yeah, they're important because we get to sit in nice seats with air conditioning and a 103-degree day. We, the rain doesn't fall on us. So buildings are important. I don't think we need to get rid of church buildings, but the church building is not the church. The church is the collective body of Christ that attends that particular setting. Amen? And uh, the body is visiting in several buildings today. Amen? All over the world. But the building is not the church. The church is not something you drive to or go to. The church is the collective body of Christ where two or three are gathered in my name there am I in the midst. Amen? Is that what Jesus said? So we need to understand that when we collectively come together, we're the church. Amen? But notice this. Jesus doesn't say when you sit by yourself and, and with the Bible that I'm in the midst. Now, we understand that he's in the midst because he lives on the inside of us. What he's talking about is that when collectively, when the body of Christ comes together, his presence. You've got the presence of God on the inside of you. And when you worship the Lord on your own and you uh, read the word of God and you do all those things, Christ interacts with you. The Holy Spirit interacts with you. But there's something about getting with another believer, getting with somebody else, getting collectively with a group of people and beginning to lift your hands and lift your voices. Oh, praise God. The presence of the Lord intensifies when we are collectively together and we begin to see in our culture today that people are not wanting to attend church and we sit there and we get perplexed and we start asking questions like, why aren't people filling the church house? Well, my question to you is this, why isn't the church filling the church house? As goes the church. So goes the world. So if we're not interested, if we're not engaged, if it's something that we dread coming to, what makes us think that we're going to be even appealing to those that are outside? If all they hear about your church is how much they're taking up money and how much time you've spent there and they don't have it right and all that, they're not going to want to come. It's not a passion. 
See, you put value on what you value. Okay, all right. This is going over real well. All right. Notice that, okay? All right, so it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The church is his body. Daniel, stand up. Okay, stand over here. Which part is Daniel? Which part is Daniel? All of him. Is that Daniel's head? You sure it isn't Dana's? Or Jeff's? Hello? All of him. So that means this. That Jesus, the head, we are his body. We are one with him. So therefore, as Jesus is, the Bible teaches, so are we. Oh, get a hold of that. As Jesus is, so are we. Amen? Well, you know, Pastor, I don't act like Jesus. Well, you're, you're a work in progress, like all of us. Amen? <laughs> You know, I don't always think like Jesus. I don't always act like Jesus. Well, thank God for grace. Thank God for mercy. But that does not take away from the fact that you have been placed in his body, one with him, and that you are a part of the most powerful body on planet Earth. Amen. You can be seated. So Daniel's not divided. He's one. Jesus is the head over all things to the church, which is his body. So just as your physical head, through the neural capacity and the ability of your brain, begins to send signals throughout your body to cause your hands to move, your legs to move, your heart to beat, your, you know, the various uh, things that regulate all the various hormones and things that are in your body. Jesus is the central head over all things. And we are the body that is to walk in obedience to the signals of the head. Amen. And that's really where the power lies. It does not lie in our ability to be popular. It does not lie in our ability to be famous. It does not lie in our ability to be accepted by the world. It lies in our obedience to Christ. Success in the church is the very thing that the world doesn't want us to do and the devil doesn't want us to be the obedient servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they fight against. That's what they say. Why do you give that money to that church? Why are you following that person? He seems like a cult leader. Why are you going to that prayer meeting? Come on. You get fought day in and day out to try to get you to disengage from the body and to not be obedient to the transmissions of grace that God brings from the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm preaching way better than you're saying amen. Hello. 
Notice it says, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So that tells us this from this scripture, that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the express image of Jesus on the earth. We are not lacking in any capacity or any capability. We have the same collective capability and capacity to do the works of Jesus to our generation, to proclaim and to prophesy and to speak to the giants of our generation and begin to see transformation happen in people's lives. You are God's address in the earth. Let me say that again. You are God's address in the earth. If people are searching for God, you say, look no further. I am not God, but God lives in me. Amen. And I know what he wants to do in your life. Praise the Lord. So in the message paraphrase, It says this, it says, all the energy issues from Christ, all this energy, what energy is he talking about? He's talking about the resurrection power of Christ that's in every believer. Did you know the same power that raised Jesus Christ? Oh, I tell you, I want to run around this building right now. You know, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is on the inside of Bill Rambo. It's on the inside of Jimmy McKnight. It's on the inside of Karen Hurd. It's on the inside of Bob Hazy. That same power that animated a body that had been dead for three days and three nights animated it and made it come back to life took all the wounds that ravaged that body and repaired them and made them whole to where he operated in a glorified existence. That same power is on the inside of every believing man and woman in this place. And all this energy issues from Christ. Where does my strength come from? Where does my life come from? It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from me as a source. It comes from the life of God that's on the inside of me. It says God raised him from death and set him on the throne in deep heaven, praise God. In charge of running the universe Everything from galaxies to governments. His name, no name, and no power exempts him from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all and has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. Oh, goodness. I don't know if you're getting a hold of what he's saying here. He's saying here we have the exalted Christ, Christ in all his exaltation. That means death has no dominion over Jesus. That means the effects of death have no dominion over Jesus. That means cancer doesn't have anything over Jesus. That means heart failure doesn't have anything over Jesus. That means any problem, any mountain, any giant you face does not have the supremacy over Christ. He controls it all. He is the power. 
That's what he's trying to get you to see. He's trying to get you to see the supremacy of the Savior so that you can understand your connection with it so that you can allow him to flow through you. Christ rules the church. What a statement. What a statement. Is that the truth? Yes, it's the truth. Experientially, it may not be the truth, but positionally, it's the truth. See, experientially, it's like Jesus is the only carpenter that works with resources that walk off the job. There are parts of his body that are telling the Lord no. Might be you. Could be me. But we need to settle this. Christ rules the church. Once you settle that in your heart, once you establish that in your heart, you begin to yield yourself as an obedient servant of the Lord. Because see, what do, what do your fingers use? They're used to serve you. What are your knees for? They're used to serve you. What is your body for? It's used to be able to animate and actualize and, 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 and begin to operate within this earth realm. It's meant to serve you. But when we have an unruly body that doesn't want to follow the directions of the head, then we have a body that is what we would call an autoimmune body. A body that fights against itself. Hello. And I'm here to tell you, friends, a lot of the problems that we're having in the world today is because the church is in autoimmune disease. We're saying no. Oh, come on now. God wants to do something in our lives, and we say, well, we'll put the stops on that. Don't be taking me there. No. You know, we don't give Jesus our sock drawer. Hello, we don't give Jesus our sock drawer. You can have all the other drawers, but you ain't going to get my sock drawer because that's where I put all my special stuff. I put my weed and my, come on now, put my, put my pills. Hello. Come on now. We've all got figurative weed, metaphorical pills. Come on now. We've all got something that we're holding back from the Lord and the Lord wants to use us. The Lord wants to fill, you know, his life to just th flow through us. Amen. And we, we restrict his flow. We restrict it. Amen. That's autoimmune. I'm not going to act right. No, I know what you're telling me, Lord, but I don't know. I don't agree with it. No, I don't know if I can pull that off. Our unbelief is killing us. Are you with me today? Okay, all right. You look like you're with me today, but I don't know. It says the church, you see, now notice this is a major revelation, is not peripheral to the world. That means this. 
Peripheral vision is vision that is on the outside. It's not full, clear, focused vision. It's just vision like I can see that door over there. But I'm not looking at the door. I'm looking at Roger Burke. Okay, I'm looking at Roger Burke, but I can see over here Daniel. Daniel's in my periphery. But my focus is on Roger. Do you see what I'm saying? So in, in, in the mind of God, his focus... Oh, you're, you're not getting this. You're not getting Because some of you feel lost today. Some of you feel like God's forgotten you. Some of you feel like God doesn't know your address anymore. But that tells me that Jesus' focus is on the church. Are you the body of Christ? Wayne, yes, absolutely you are. So where's his focus going to be? It's going to be on the church. It's going to be on Daniel. It's not peripheral. See, most people got their focus on the world. But it says right there, it says the world is peripheral to the church. That's going to finish that out if I hit the slide. But it's going to say peripheral to the church. That means the world's peripheral to the church. That means that the focus of God is never on the periphery. I'm going to say some things that are going to make you mad. God's not going to work through Donald Trump. Listen, Donald Trump, I, I have no problem with Donald Trump. Okay? Listen. But we putting the sole focus on him to save our nation, that is not how it's going to happen. Because the church is not peripheral to the world. If God is looking for the answer to this nation... He's looking right at you. He's looking right at me. He's looking at the church. Oh, come on now. Good night. I wish you'd just get a hold. He's not going to use governments. Does he use governments at times? Yes. But I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit came down and filled the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you, we are the body of Christ and members in particular. Our prayers matter. Our words matter. What we do counts because we're a part of the greatest entity that has ever existed on planet earth before. So broad is its expanse and its influence that God doesn't look at what's going on in the world. He looks at what's going on in his church and he expects his church to take it out into the peripheral. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm feeling saucy. <laughs> Hallelujah. So if the church is not important to the culture of what we're seeing today, if the church is not the answer to the rioting we saw and to the upheaval that we have in our politics, if the church is not the solution to the infirmed in the hospital room, to the pandemic that we just went through. If the church is not the answer, then why would Jesus waste his time and tell us this, Matthew 16, 19. 
He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you, he didn't say whatsoever I bind. He says, whatsoever Steve binds is bound in heaven. And whatsoever Steve looses. Now that's a wonderful proposition if you're facing struggle. But it's also a proposition that can bring some concern because we've all bound things we shouldn't bind and we've loosed things we shouldn't have loosed. But that doesn't negate this. See, used properly, I can fortify my Eden. Used properly, I can keep the enemy out of my business. Oh, you're not getting this. Used properly, I can bind hell and loose heaven in people's lives. Jesus gave us this. Why? Because dominion has been given to man. Let's look at Psalms 115. It says, The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. Okay? Listen to that. I'm going over these again because we need to get these in our heart. The mess we're in is not God's fault. The whole Bible from Genesis 3 to the 22nd chapter of Revelation is God responding to the crisis that man put himself into when he chose the devil over God. Amen? You got to understand that. Because if you think God is your problem, you don't have a solution. You don't have a solution. If God's my problem, I don't have any solution whatsoever. Come on now. It's the truth. We're in the predicament we're in because men have sided with Satan. And they're operating in the lust of their flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And they're yielding to spirits that do not have humanity's best interests at heart. When man transgressed and joined with the devil, he not only joined with an entity that was anti-God, but was anti-human. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus set it forth. People say all the time, well, God must be in it because, you know, this is, this is going on. No, there are other spirits involved, and there are human spirits that are involved. Are you with me? Come on, don't look at me that way. It's the truth. Jesus, if we don't see Jesus doing it, then God doesn't do it. Right. Hey, come on now. If Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, at what time did Jesus ever put sickness on anybody? 
Did he ever have a sickness giving line? Oh, come on. Don't look at me that way. Did he ever curse anybody? Come on, he cursed a fig tree. But he didn't curse people. Hello. Well, God allowed it. Well, that's kind of kind of dumb. He said, whatsoever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. Who bound it? Who loosed it? To sit there and tell me that God allowed something is like saying to my son, two guys beat him up on the street and I am complicit because I hired the two guys. How can you believe God if that's the God we serve? How could you even believe in faith? Either God is absolutely good or he's not good at all. Does that mean that he doesn't discipline us? Of course he does. He disciplines us through his word. He disciplines us through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He disciplines not with sickness, not with disease, not with poverty, not with things that Jesus hung on the cross and died for. I don't know who I'm talking to here, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying some things. Amen? But it's the truth. We've got to understand that. God is absolutely good. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. He didn't say I've come that you might have death. He said I've come that you might have life. See, he's answering in response to man's dilemma. The whole Bible is about man's dilemma. This isn't God's problem. But we serve such a magnanimous, wonderful, grace, gracious God that he made it his problem. So much so that he became a man just like you and I. And he took the brunt of our sin, our sickness, and our depravity he slayed it at the cross, was buried in a tomb, and three days later raised from the dead so that you and I could be justified. <coughs> That's a good God. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. I'm running out of time. <coughs> Praise God. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is finally my text for the series. I'm not saying it's my text for this message today because I'm going to get you out of here. But it's the text for the series. I finally made it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1. The Apostle Paul, in light of everything I just told you, he says, listen, I therefore... A prisoner of the Lord, or a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Let me tell you what this scripture does not say. It does not say you have to strive for worthiness. That's not what it's saying. Because if we had to strive for worthiness, we'd never make it. Do you understand that? You are worthy through the work of Jesus alone. Amen. 
you have been made worthy by his blood. That doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. doesn't mean that you're not going to have situations that you, I tell you what, I, I, I feel like running around this room. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Can you feel the Spirit of the Lord? Worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. Guilt, condemnation, and shame are erased because of the work of Jesus. Not because of my works. If I stood on my own, I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing to stand on. I can't stand before the Lord on my own merit. I don't have a leg to stand on. But Jesus became my legs. Jesus became my right standing. Jesus became my sacrifice. You know, when they would come to the temple and someone, say for instance, I had... Uh, embezzled from my brother here. I worked for him and I embezzled some money. And of course, you know, we, we got in an altercation and stuff, but I wanted to be right with God. I would get a lamb or I'd get a goat or I'd get a bull. And I would go to the tabernacle. And guess what? When I would come to the priest, the priest would never look at me. He would never look at me. He would never say, you look like a shady character. You look like you ain't got it together. I can tell. You're, you are someone that just defrauds people. I can, I can tell. They got them beady eyes. You know? Never. The priest never looks at the person. He looks at the sacrifice. He examines the sacrifice. And if the sacrifice is perfect, it can be the, the, the covering for that sin. Well, I'm here to tell you, when you miss it, when you make a mistake, God doesn't look at you. He looks at the sacrifice. He looks at Jesus. He looks at what Jesus did on the cross. It doesn't mean we don't repent. It doesn't mean we don't confess our sin. It just means this. I don't have to come with fear of rejection, condemnation, guilt, and shame. Jesus is the overpayment for my sin. Amen. Walking worthy means I walk in congruence with what Jesus has done for me. That means that I walk in a way that gives thanksgiving, that gives credence to what I've been delivered from. I forgive because I've been forgiven. I don't hold a grudge because all grudges have been taken away from my life. <clears throat> I walk in freedom because I've been made free. And I give grace and I give mercy because I've been given grace and I've been given mercy. That's walking in a worthy manner. Amen? Okay? It's not saying that you have to walk to get worthy. <laughs> it's not saying that. It's not saying that your works make you worthy. It's saying you're already worthy. Walk like you're worthy. You understand? Okay? Now, here's where people miss it. They think that in order to walk worthy, it has something to do with God's power being displayed in your life. So we equate spiritual maturity with 
gifts of the Spirit operating in a person's life. They say, oh, man, when they pray, it's like heaven comes down. Or, man, he gave me a word, and it just knocked my socks off. He must be in tune with the Lord. Or when he laid hands on me, I felt the power of God. And man, that sickness left my body. He must be in tune with God. But the Bible teaches differently. Okay? God used a donkey. And he still uses them today. Because maturity is not, the way to gauge it is not by gifting. Because gifting is unearned. Amen? It's unearned. Operating in the gifts of the Spirit is just that. You're operating in a gift. That means you didn't qualify for it. You didn't merit it. And you certainly didn't cultivate it. People ask, say, well, I want to do what you do. I don't know that you can. Because I didn't go to school and able to do what I do. It's a gift. And the problem in the body of Christ today is that we're not appreciative of the fact that it's a gift. We think that it's a cultivated skill of some sort. And it's not. And the problem with this is, is that our giftings can outpace our character. And so you can have a high gifting level and be good prophetically or be good, you know, in the gifts of the spirit, but have a bad character. Hello. What about Samson? Samson was messing around with women and still carrying gates, still operating in the power of God, but yet he was fooling around. Hello? I'm here to tell you, my friends, the greatest thing about this gospel is this, is that God shows up and shows out when I'm at my worst. I mean, I'm telling you, I could fight with my wife and praise God heaven to just flow through my life in there. I could you know, be, be in a bad spot, you know, know that I'm going home to sleep in the doghouse and the Lord still use me. Hello. I could be having a horrible time struggling with something in my flesh and then God just used me. Why? Because God's looking for availability. He's looking for vessels that he can flow through. My character may not be where my gifting is, but God doesn't disqualify me because of that. He expects me to get my character up to where it's neck and neck with my gifting. That's the goal, isn't it? But you know, there are times if we were all honest people that we've worked in the power of the Lord and saw great things happen in other people's lives through us and we just were struggling ourselves. 
And in fact, we didn't even want to pray for him. We thought, well, you better find somebody else. I'm, I'm tainted goods. Come on now. How many ever felt that way? And then all of a sudden you just go ahead and do it, and God just shows up. Why? Because of grace and mercy. Because God wants to meet a need. That's nothing on you. You can't take credit for that. There's no way you can say, I did that. I prayed for them. And they were healed. See, that's the wrong attitude. And there are ministers out there that are like that. There are people out there that are like that. Dangerous stuff. Because he begins to tell us how to walk worthy. Are you getting anything out of this? Is this helping anybody? Okay, notice this. He's going to give us a key right here. Well, go back. The first key is found in this one. He calls himself a prisoner for the Lord. Now, that was absolutely true at the time of this writing because it's one of the prison epistles, okay? So, he, you know, he, he's a prisoner for the Lord. But that's not, that title was a title he used when he was physically in prison and when he was not in prison. So he's given you a clue as to walking worthy in this, which is the freer you want to be, the more a prisoner you have to become. Let me say that again. To operate in the freedom that you want to operate in, the true freedom that Christ purchased, you're going to have to lock yourself up. Oh, we don't like that. You're going to have to lock yourself up. It, it matters what you're chained to. See, if you're going to experience freedom, you've got to be chained to something. It's just like Bob Dylan said, you've got to save somebody. Everybody serves somebody. There ain't nobody independent in this house. Everybody's serving somebody. You're either serving your flesh, you're serving the devil, or you're serving the Lord. There's no in-between. So for me to experience, I got to lose my life. That means that I got to shun and I got to grab a hold. See, Jesus said it this way. He said, take my yoke. Well, it's a yoke, man. I thought there was no work involved. And you're talking about a yoke. A yoke and work go hand in hand. He said, take my yoke. He said, my burden is easy. My load is light on your life, but it's, yet it's still a yoke. See, I'm going to have to hook myself up. I'm going to have to lose my life to find life. See, all my identity markers, all the things I value, all the things that I believe are inclusive to me and my identity, it's going to have to go on the altar and become a living sacrifice in order to have life the way Christ intended I'm going to have to be a prisoner. Hello. True freedom is not having yes said to you continuously. True freedom is being able to say no. You want to know when you're truly free? When you can say no. When you can say no to sin, no to the devil. No to your flesh. No to the peer group. No. That's when you know you're free. Hello. 
All right. Some of you are getting it. All right. Now notice he goes on and he says this. <clears throat> and I've got to close with this because I'm running out of time. It says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, is that what we're seeing in our social media timelines from church people? I don't see it. I see nothing but stress and strife and fighting one another and, you know. I remember I was looking at a, a pretty popular minister's uh, timeline one time. Of course, the big guys, they don't answer their timeline, so stop it. Okay? I'm, I'm just telling you, they don't answer their timelines anyway. They got someone else running their social media. Okay? So you're not getting at them. I know you think that quip that you just made is really bringing their kingdom down. Not really at all. They have people that feel that stuff, and they don't even know who you are. Okay? All right? So stop it. For God's sake. Stop it. Okay? Here's this guy. He put up a scripture. I think it was just a phrase from a song that we all know and love. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That was his, that was his uh, thing that he put up. And I looked down the timeline, and this one guy put, heretic. That's how you're going to respond to Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells you're a false teacher. Come on now. That's not what we're saying. And we're seeing more and more division in the body of Christ. The devil understands the body. The church does not. We don't understand the body. You understand it from an experiential because you get up every morning and you feel your body. And you know what your body does. And you know that sometimes your body don't want to cooperate. Older you get, it don't want to cooperate. Come on now. Not a bad confession. I'm just telling you, it, sometimes it don't want to cooperate. Sometimes it don't want to walk, wake up. Sometimes it don't want to go to work. Sometimes it don't want to go to church. Sometimes it don't want to do right. You know, sometimes it wants a beer at six in the morning. Come on now. Your body is going to want to do all kinds of things. It has to be subordinated. The devil knows that the way to neutralize the most powerful entity on planet earth is to divide it. Right. So it uses all kinds of different things. Here's one. I'm going to get you in this last five minutes, all right? Here's, here's, here's a psychological operation that is used by the enemy to keep people from church or to keep people from certain churches and divide them. And it's this. All the church wants is money. How many have ever heard that? Now I'm going to make it real hard. How many have ever said that? <laughs> we, if we're truthful, we've all said that in some, some way. Come on now. Because it's a psychological operation. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a deception of the devil that he wants to put in your mind to keep you from fully committing 
to being a part of the body of Christ. Because if you don't trust leadership and if you don't trust what the church is doing, there's no way you can be a full-flowing, free-flowing member of the body. There's just absolutely no way. Now, I'm going to tell you this not because I'm wanting money and not because we need money, because God supplies our needs here. We are not in a deficit. We are not having money problems. I'm doing this to free you. from deception that's keeping you bound. And people will say, well, all the church wants is money. All the church wants is money. Well, from a biblical standpoint, I can prove that that's not the case, but I can prove it also by the statistics in our nation. From sea to shining sea, from California to New York City, or the coast of Maine, a New England area. There are churches all over this land. Statistically, if we were to take all of the churches, even the mega churches that we complain about, well, they're just after your money. They're just after your They're asking for money again. They're asking from sea to shining sea, the average church in the United States of America is 65 people. The 97 to 98 percentile, the top 2% of churches in the United States are over 200. That means that the mega churches that we all look at and see, all the ones that are popping up all over the place, listen, They're just up in the upper 2%. But guess what? Lake Church is in the upper 2%. Now that's something that we can celebrate, the goodness of God, but we had nothing to do with it. You see what I'm saying? We had nothing to do with it. But what I'm trying to show you is that the, the, the fallacy in the phrase, the church is always after your money. Okay, Out of those churches, 65 people attend that church. Most of them are pastored either by no pastor or a bivocational pastor. That means that the church does not have the means to be able to give their pastor a salary so that he can make full-time effort of taking over the flock. So majority of those churches are bivocational pastors or pastors that are not getting paid at all. And we've, we've, you know, we've got people, listen, when we first started the church, God's always blessed us. God's always taken care of us. But there were lean times. There were lean times. They wouldn't, you know, we didn't have a hot tub fund, you know, or a summer home you know, campaign or anything of that nature. That just didn't, didn't happen. Okay. All right. So 65 people pastored by someone that's either not paid are getting their pay from some other means and not able to give their full attention to the flock and then being stretched out by all kinds because he can't get no help. Come on now. All right. Now, but the reason why they do it 
It's because the church wants your money. Really. Out of that 65 people, only 6% give to that church. So that means out of 65 people, 3.9 people give to the church. But the church wants your money. The church wants your money. See, we see, you know, the jets of some minister, things of that nature, and we just think that that's across the board. That is not the case. That is not the case. But yet people come in thinking that ministries are built from old ladies' pensions. Anytime I ask for money, there's always got this idea of some older woman giving her last two pence so that trained Christian academy can go on one more day. It's foolishness. We're being robbed from. Because if I just prove to you that the church is the greatest entity on planet earth, if I could show you scriptures, which I could, where God tells you and says to you that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. If Jesus put the emphasis on the kingdom of God, what a better outpost of the kingdom of God than the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that should mean to me, if I'm a reasonable person, if I'm a smart person, then I should take all my investment, all my time, all my energy, all my resources, and I should put it in the one entity that is going to make a difference in this world, but yet only 3.9. As goes the church. So goes the world. If we don't think it's important enough, they're not going to think it's important enough. I'll just mic drop it and leave. It's sobering, isn't it? That out of a hundred people, Daniel, six are funding the party. Six are keeping missionaries alive on the field. I'm not getting on to you. I'm not. It's for those people on the camera outside. There's none. This is for the live stream. You guys are perfect. So don't get mad. Don't walk out of here saying, the church just wants your money. Because it's a lie. It's an absolute, utter lie. I don't think about money when you call me in the middle of the night Amen. and your wife's fixing to leave. Amen. I don't think about money when the doctor's giving you uh, a diagnosis that says you're going to die in two or three months. I, I don't think about, and the, these ministers don't think about money yeah. 
when you're facing the most horrific things in your life and you need just someone to, with a shoulder to cry on and someone to pray for you. We're not thinking about that at all. In fact, I don't think about it at all. And most pastors, majority of pastors, don't. Because most of them aren't paid anyway. But yet the church wants your money. Church wants your money. That's what the church wants. Don't go in there. You know, what are you doing giving your money to that? Well, what are you doing giving your money to Marlboro? What are you doing giving your money to Crank? What are you doing giving your money to porn? What do you do giving your... Would you rather give to the one entity that's going to change the world than something that's going to destroy the world? Would you rather do that? I mean, my goodness, are you El Stupido? That's French. Hello. I'm here to tell you we got to raise the standard. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, all men will come to me. But we're not lifting them up. We're not lifting them up in our time. We're not lifting them up in our money. We're not lifting them up in anywhere. Get people to volunteer for anything anymore. Listen, what does volunteerism do? What does you giving time to your church do? It gets you away from the love of money. It shows you that your life isn't about making money only. It's about being in service to the Lord. Because there's a currency in heaven. The Bible teaches it. There's a currency in heaven. You know what that currency is? It's what you do down here. Oh, my goodness, you don't want to hear that. But it's the truth. Hello. It's the truth. It's what you do down here, friend. That's the currency of heaven. In fact, you will be clothed, according to the book of Revelation, with what you did down here. And if you're focused on going to the casino to get your breakthrough, if you're focusing on the almighty dollar and chasing the almighty dollar, if you're doing that and you're not investing in the transformation of lives all around the world? I'm not asking you to follow me. You know, the apostle Paul never asked for people to follow him. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. It's a big difference. See, if you don't see us following Christ, then you, you, make, you make the decision. That's up to you. But if we're following Christ and you can see the work of Christ and the fruit of Christ, then that should give you a clue. Man, these people are doing something that I can invest in, that I can invest in. And listen, guys, even if you gave your money to someone that is perceived as a charlatan, God knows what you gave and you didn't lose it. Because it's not about who you give it to. You think God just forgets it because you gave it to some bozo on the TV? He doesn't forget it. He, he knows what went into that. 
See, he's not about percentages. He's not about numbers. He's about heart. There's some people that are given large amounts don't have no heart. There are people that are given meager amounts, but all their heart is in it. And God looks at that. Amen? But I'm here to tell you it's time to rise up. It's time to put our action to what we believe. Do we believe it? And I've put more than enough basis over the last two weeks here to tell you that the church at large does not believe. Does not believe the church is the most powerful organization on planet earth. They don't prove it by their attendance. They don't prove it by their involvement. And they don't, imp- they don't prove it by their investment. And I'm not saying that to be condemning or to be mean. I'm just saying, listen, turn your head and cough. Take the examination. If it doesn't, if, if, if it doesn't convict you, then fine, move on. But if it is something that you say, listen, I really have not been doing what I need to do, then we need to make the adjustments. Amen? Amen. Because the standard's going to be raised with or without you. With or without you. Because I'm raising my standard. How about you? Hello? I'm going to raise my standard because guess what? Lives are depending on what we do. There's no greater entity on the earth that can save an addict, that can save a sinner from hell, that can save some marriage. That can, there's no other entity on planet earth but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I may not be able to do that, but the gospel can. Now, either you believe that this is you know, just like, you know, the weed stores that are out there, they all claim we've got this, we've got this type and we've got this type and we're the only ones. We're the exclusive dealers of this various thing or whether it's a liquor store or anything of that nature. We got the specific type. No one else sells it. Guess what? You're not going to get the Holy Ghost anywhere else than the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we believe it? Well, we better. You have the greatest product on planet Earth. Everybody needs it, but they just don't know it. It's liquid life. Life as God has it through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness as God would be. Praise God, it's yours. And you can give it away because Jesus died for all. Amen? Amen. 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 I know that was rough, but that's okay. Put some hair on your chest. Now we're going to close the service out. and We're going to have ministers here that are going to be here to meet any need you might have. If you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to be born again you need to rededicate your life, or you need healing in your body, this is the place and the time of the service in which you can appropriate that. So I want to remind you, um, Sunday night school, tonight, disclosure. I got some really good stuff. I'm very excited about teaching this stuff tonight. I encourage you, be with us. It's going to be a good time.
And we got school <coughs> starting up right now. Tomorrow night, if you had, did not come to the first class, just show up. Just show up. We've got plenty of books, plenty of chairs. We're ready for you. Amen? Hallelujah. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.